everyone, and welcome to New Way, the podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. The final two episodes of season four are coming at you this week and next. As always, we've focused on the relationships between people, our communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. But this is a new world we're living in, life in a global pandemic, a reality that affects every part of each of us. What words and images of faith guide us now? Which of those give us insight and direction for the world and church we hope will emerge when we all come out of our houses and can be together again in person. One of the key phrases that we began with kind of five years ago was, look, we don't measure our faith family's success by worship attendance or budget size. We measure it by impact in the community and impact in the neighborhood. So I kind of bristle a little bit against the language that says, when we exist for the other, because what actually happens in a theological sense, and even like I've seen it come alive, the refocusing of an energy outward and being about washing feet and being about the other and being about the justice issues that exist in our neighborhood has brought them to a, a spiritual life that is far more alive with what God is doing. Today's guest, Jake Medcalf, is no stranger to new ways of being church. Even in this pandemic, the ministry he is a part of continues to adapt and find new ways to support and join neighbors in building meaningful connections that in some cases, quite literally, have saved lives. He is the founder of Urban Life Ministries of San Diego and a coach within our 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. In 2015, he moved to Hayward, California to serve as pastor of First Presbyterian Church there with a laser-focused call to guiding the ministry into a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multilingual community that strives to live out the radical mission of Jesus in the Eden neighborhood of the Bay Area. Jake, thanks for being here. And in particular, thanks for being here on your birthday. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> um, for those who are listening, Jake has a um, Korean burrito sitting on his desk, <laughs> staring at him right now. He's going to wait to eat that as we record this conversation. So just particularly um, grateful to you for um, making time. I've, I've admired you, um, your zest for life. This is like... To me, the burrito in this conversation is like emblematic of Jake Medcalf. Like you've got something fun on the horizon that's exciting, <laughs> but you also know when duty calls to like think deeply and is, you're stepping up to the plate. You're just always thinking about the other person. So oh, thank you. <laughs> appreciate you. <man. laughs> no problem. As y'all heard in the introduction, uh, Jake is um, the pastor of First Pres Hayward in Hayward, California, which is a part of the Bay Area in California. And... Um, in his ministry, uh, where he's been, you've been at Hayward for how many years now? Five years now. To me, the community that has emerged in the past several years at Hayward and the ways in which this church has made very clear who it is called to be um, and its vision for the community that it seeks to create beyond its walls is, is very inspiring. And um, what's particularly enlivening to me as a pastor who uh, admires Jake's leadership and um, is able to see this from afar is that I, I see the steps you all have taken since the moment you've come, and I'm sure in addition before that, um, to witness to that vision. I mean, it's not just a description of where you'd like to be, but 
those of us who know you and know this community have seen it come to fruition. Are you surprised where you are now? Um, yeah, I, I think wonderfully, beautifully surprised. Um, but also, I, I, I just take it with a deep breath, right? Because um, I couldn't... It was a really hard transition from from who we were five years ago to here. I would not want to be with any other body of people. This This faith family is so missionally minded and so engaging in real world issues in relevant issues in the community um they like almost like to like we had a we probably have about 150 people on average in worship on a sunday Mm -hmm. and we did this volunteer kind of celebration and banquet where we were trying to honor all those who are giving themselves away um either in a church setting but most especially outside of a church setting as PTAs, as volunteers, as kind of engaging our community in a broader sense. And we have literally had like 130 people at the volunteer banquet. That's a good, that's a good ratio. <laughs> right? And it was in that moment where you're like, oh, wow. Hmm. Like the people in First Prize are such deeply committed Jesus followers who are literally looking like tomorrow on how to give themselves away in mm-hmm. further, further details, like in their workplaces, with what they're doing, like trying to craft, how do I... You know, like one of my dear friends, Ron Kilby, who's an elder with us, is lives in the world of kind of corporate real estate and is constantly trying to bend that world and figure out, well, how do I love my neighbor with not only like in this space, but also with this vocation? Mm-hmm. And how do I do justice work here? How do I make sure the table is is set equally for all? Um, and so those conversations are just so like that's what I'm doing come from a pastor perspective. So, yeah, I mean, what you're talking about really strikes me because you're on the pulse of what many uh, Christian communities are striving for or thinking of as like way down the pipeline. Not only, I mean, we use the term missional sometimes in this podcast and Jake, your church and what you're describing is an amazing example of that idea that the church does not exist to fulfill the needs of its members, but this is a school of love or, you know, whatever analogy you want to throw out there where people are supported and molded and sustained to reach outwards beyond themselves, not only to, you know, uh, do something one day, but as, as you're talking about systemically making change, which is far more difficult and, um, Far, far more um, outward reaching, I think. Yeah, and it's been a beautiful. We come up with that language when around missional, around when you exist for the other, mm-hmm. right? Like one of the key phrases that we began with, mm-hmm. kind of five years ago, was: "Look, we don't measure our faith families' success by worship attendance or budget size. We measure it by impact in the community and impact in a neighborhood." Mm-hmm. Um, but even then what, what's happened is when you do that, when you create this outward focus, so I kind of bristle a little bit against the language that says when we exist for the other, Mm. because what actually happens in a theological sense, and even like I've seen it come alive that Ron and a lot of other people here are more alive spiritually now than they ever were before. Yes. Right. So like, like the refocusing of an energy outward and being about washing feet and being about the other and being about the justice issues that exist in our neighborhood um, has brought them to a, a spiritual life that is far more, I mean, to use a kind of common churchy word, like on fire, you know, mm-hmm. like, but they are alive with what God is doing right where I've been put, right? Because I'm right here is what God is doing in my workplace, in my 
environment in my school in yes. my office yeah like it actually does benefit the members yeah by taking the focus off of them right 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 and that we don't exist to provide religious goods and services and it's energizing uh-huh. now it took a long time to get there yeah. and yeah I, I don't think i have potentially the strength or courage to do it again because mm. it took a lot of you know um name calling and people leaving and uh just really heart heartbreaking um you know i could tell all those stories all day long yeah i mean i think that is a question um both the question of is there is there a false dichotomy like this idea of like as you you've rightly pointed out um we do grow as people of faith our faith grows our insight our wisdom grows when we get over ourselves and give ourselves away um and also as you said what the world does not need is christians being like uh, let me go and just, if you just had what I had, then, <laughs> you, you know, you would be a better right. person or you're, you know, you would have a higher number in your bank account or just all these Ugh. terrible misconceptions that float around within the church, within, um, our theology. And we are countering right. that and saying it is in giving ourselves away that, um, we discover who we are and who we're called to be and right. become more better um examples of that right and almost just a and not even realizing it just along the way mm. it's just a, a a refocusing um that I, I yeah i think that's probably the right way to say it mm-hmm. do you find that this process of becoming uh you know more in tune with god's step um could you have predicted how you might have changed or as you said it's something that emerges that you're not even necessarily fully conscious of and then you look back and realize wow i've approached that differently or i (laughs) yeah yeah okay that was not my Um, go-to before (laughs) no i think that i mean there's been so much learning about myself about this i mean this was really my first at hayward my first mainline denominational pastor Mm -hmm. right like i was launching nonprofits and small beautiful thousand and one church plants um so to do this i've learned a ton between here and between five years ago and now Mm -hmm. uh, and i would have i think i would have done some things differently you know back in the early the early season i learned beautifully from people who you know there's this um beautiful 85 year old woman who came into my office in the middle of changes from i mean hayward when i got here had two worship expressions was one was a traditional worship expression that that probably got stuck in its evolution at about 1953. Okay. And one was a contemporary worship expression, just to use kind of common language. Yeah. That got stuck somewhere about 1983. Um, and so we were 95% white, and and Hayward is like the third most diverse city in the nation right now. Wow. And so our neighborhood just wasn't. In our neighborhood, we were probably our average age was somewhere between 65 and 70 and the average age in Hayward is between 35 and 30 and 40. Mm. Right. So we just weren't, our, and we're never had a vision. I never had a vision. Um, we could talk about the theology of kind of, uh, people driving from all over to your faith family, you know, yeah, it was never my thing. Like we didn't want people coming from far away. We're a, we're a community church. We're a local parish and 
So we had to begin to reflect our local community, right? Mm -hmm. And so along that way, as we were kind of navigating all the difficulties of that, this 85-year-old woman comes into my office and and just said this so well, which gave me such great pause. Um, He said, Jake, the way that I communicate with my kids has changed. The way I communicate with my grandkids has changed. I just got onto Facebook. Mm -hmm. The way my car gives me directions has changed. The way I start my car has changed. The way I watch TV has changed. I was just hoping that my church wouldn't change. Oh. Right? And like every (laughs) part of me is like, I love you. I'm so sorry that we've got to go through this together. Mm. Right? But we have to. Yeah. Well, what you're talking about, that change is so interesting because so many of the changes that, it's like the force, the force can be used for good or evil, right? Like it doesn't, it's not inherently, Facebook is not inherently I would say good or evil. Right. Um, it's a tool, but the the gospel or the way this this idea of being a multi generational, multi ethnic, um, multicultural community, I would say, is the call of the church. You know, it, it's not uh, to be uh, not reflective of our community is just as good as to be reflective of our community. But the, what the, the gospel does call us to is, um, hard for many of us to hear, but fairly clear, I think in the stories that Jesus embodies in the, in the scriptures. Yeah. What did you say in that moment? You said, you said, uh, <laughs> I said, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and she was so, I still do. Yeah. Um, but, but, she was one of the ones who just could not come along on the journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know what we, we tried so hard, I think, and maybe rightly and maybe wrongly. And, and um, I think pastorally, I would have done some things different, but I remember this great kind of beautiful metaphor as we were going through some of these changes, um, which I really do feel like to your point where gospel changes, this is what the scripture calls us to. We've got to refocus and be about those that are outside our walls. Um, we've got to be reflective of our community and move away from this, you know, deliverance of religious goods and services of the what's best for me. Um, if we're to, to live and to thrive, right? Mm-hmm. Along that way, we sat down with a bunch of our just really beautiful folks who had been um, with the church forever and the change was hard and we we're sitting down in this analogy and I remembered this kind of story where um, my mom was a brilliant, brilliant cook and she made a Thanksgiving meal that would just knock your socks off. And then as time went on, uh, I got married, my brother got married and when we were just married with no kids, we would still go back to my mom's house for Thanksgiving. And then we had one kid and we would still go back. And then we had two kids and we would still go back. But then when we had three kids, it was, hey, mom, you're going to have to come come visit us. And so she would come down and then for a while uh, she would cook her Thanksgiving meal. But then as time went on, it became time that we we're like, mom, it's really our turn to build the, to cook the Thanksgiving meal Um but we want you here at our house and we want you with our kids and we want your presence, but we've got to kind of transition the cooking and the way this meal is done to the next generation. Mm. And that was the, 
invitation that we were giving to our folks to say, look, we want your presence. We want you here. We want you to be around the table. We want your influence. We want your stories. But we've got to, we've got to serve this meal differently. So can I poke, can I poke into the analogy a little bit of like, sure. like, do you want her casserole dish? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like for the, those who are coming and we're like, Hey, right. we're setting the table now. Do we tell them what to cook or is there a space <laughs> for, um, that story? <laughs> the, the mystery casserole that was, yeah. I mean, you're talking um, about adaptive change, right? You're not talking about yeah. changing the hymn or something. We're talking no. about changing we've got to do this meal differently yeah and absolutely one of the beautiful pieces of being multi-generational um oftentimes what i think what happens in change is when you're doing especially in a mainline denominational setting that change essentially you kind of say goodbye to one whole generation and get younger right Mm -hmm. um but that wasn't what we were going for because our neighborhood isn't exclusively 35 year olds you know what i mean or or 25 year olds it's got multi-generationality to it. And so you have to walk through um, what that looks like and, and how you engage all those different pieces and you honor the gifts and the skills of all of these different um, generational pieces of especially around the way they eat, the way they serve meals, the way like we have all these different, and then across cultural divides, right? Cause you have so many different cultural experiences. Um, but that's the beauty of what I think that the, the gospel creates and what Paul the apostle was trying so hard to create in all the churches that he was a part of, right? That neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor old, nor young. Um, We've got to create a multi-generational place and a multicultural place. Um, And and that was the kind of the, how do we carve that means that, that some of the generations who have done such beautiful jobs of leadership before us had to let go of some of the things they held most dear. Mm-hmm. Um, and that part's hard. And I have to let go of some of the things I hold most dear. You know, like um, when we started doing multiple languages in worship, it was really it was really hard. I mean, I, and I totally believed in it and was totally with it and knew why we were doing it because our neighborhood speaks multiple languages. And um, you have to create a, a house where diversity is welcome before diversity arrives. And so we're doing all these different pieces. Um, and I still remember one day where we're singing a song and then the Spanish verse um, hit. And I was like, oh, I was such in a good spot. And this Spanish verse happens and it totally derailed like all of what I was. <laughs> Your presence looked, derailed like, me. Right. I was right. So <laughs> right. Like, right. And then um, and I looked to my left and there's one of our sisters just singing her heart out at full blast with tears in her eyes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, this is why we do it. Yeah. Right. And you kind of got it. And you're like, Oh, we can all serve each other in this way. Like I'm going to learn how to sing this Spanish verse. Yeah. As this overly, overly white male privileged man. Yeah. Because this is how I I can love her. We can stand in solidarity together and not always make her come my way. Mm -hmm. And we had to do that same thing with generations, right? Where you, you all have to give. Yeah. Right now, the faith community is all pulling in the same direction. And just to watch it, like to watch 92-year-old Winnie loving and caring for 19-year-old bilingual Jenny mm-hmm. at, a, you know, at a women's retreat is worth every single 
<laughs> email about how satanic <laughs> heretical I was. Yes, yes. I think that what you just said is sort of a bomb for people out there who are doing this work. It's like I think this story will will help Presbyterians who live in mainline denominational settings to get the context right. Where there's a there's a guy who who was on my um, the the committee that hired me, the nominating committee. And about two and a half years in, and we're friends now, and I think we've kind of worked it through, but in the moment, it was just such a gut punch. Like, comes into my office in the middle of transition and change, and people are leaving, and new people are coming, and um, and uh, says, Jake, I don't know how to say this to you, but I am ashamed and I regret that I was ever part of hiring you. Oh, my gosh. I was like, oh. And I thought we were like friends. I was like, wow. <laughs> That's one way to say it. Wow. Um, oh, okay. my gosh. Wow. So I'm trying my best to like love well in that moment. Oh. And I'm like, hey, brother, um, do you feel like I lied to you or I deceived you or there was something? He's like, no, I know. I went back through my notes and all the interviews and all the kind of questions we asked from our search. And no, you've been absolutely... Like everything you've said you wanted to do is being done and you've been right on. And then so I'm like, then what's the, he goes, I just did not know the cost. My friends are leaving and they're blaming me. Mm -hmm. Wow. And I said, brother, I didn't, I didn't know the cost either. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't have told you that from the outside, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that parts, those parts are hard, right? Mm -hmm. And the, so. and the, the normativity piece, this idea that I think, and you and I are both speaking as white people in America, citizens from the, from our birth. Um, the, I think the assumption that I have grown up with and um, benefited from in every moment of every day almost is this idea that um, no matter what, I never have to sacrifice anything right. or lose anything. Um, and, and a total blindness to the loss um, of, in a variety of ways, emotional, uh, through trauma, through um, economic um, systems, um, educational systems, healthcare, every system of loss experienced by our siblings in Christ, uh, particularly our black siblings in Christ. And this idea that uh, how surprised we are when we're asked to sacrifice to simply make space at the table yeah, and how that feels like such an affront. <laughs> to to us no totally what a what a what a mess we are yeah um no yeah. and it feels that way i mean there was most there was i mean i'm still learning and growing through all the different pieces i have such a beautiful staff that mm -hmm. um never quite let me get away with any of my white male privilege mm -hmm. showing in yeah a staff meeting or <laughs> yeah or a moment or even a sermon right like one of the biggest challenges in the in the kind of figuring out preaching content right now is we have such a varied socioeconomic body because we do so much work with the homeless right now mm -hmm. and they're and, the, and we're just doing our best to love people right and then they become friends and family and um so we have six tiny homes on our property and multiple of those folks come to church on a regular basis to are in part taking part in community groups mm -hmm. and so all of a sudden preaching has multiple dynamics to it where you got to walk yourself through and like, how is, 
how are my brothers and sisters who literally have nothing financially going to hear this? Yeah. Wow. Um, And and how, and how does that work? And not to mention across the cultural divides with um, my, my Latina and Latino brothers and sisters, my black brothers and sisters, my Asian American brothers and sisters. Right. So now you got to add that context to it too. Um, It makes everything so difficult and beautifully difficult. The Mm -hmm. right difficult, Mm -hmm. um, wouldn't have it any other way difficult, but it's not a great, you know, kind of in a homogeneous unit principle (laughs) church growth strategy. You can follow the ministry of First Presbyterian Church and see the initiatives we've talked about and even get a tour of some of the new tiny homes on their property on Instagram at First Pres Hayward or online at firstpreshayward.com. Thank you for listening to New Way, podcast of the 1001 New Worshiping Communities Movement. Our producer is the fabulous Marthame Sanders. You can see and share stories and photos of the humans involved in this movement on Instagram at 1001NWCPCUSA. And you can visit us online at newchurchnewway.org. Catch you next time. Thank you.